You're listening to The Green Thumbs Up, brought to you by Miniquip Hard, WA's leading machinery hire company, supporting the Landscape Industries Association, WA. G'day landscapers and welcome to another episode of Green Thumbs Up, the Liawa podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of landscaping. Joining me in the luxury Greenwood studios is Nick Russell. Nico, how are you today, mate? Yeah, good, Daz. Thanks for having us again. I'm really looking forward to this episode. We've got one of the legends of the industry here. Oh, we absolutely have, Neville Passmore. Nev, thanks for making the journey up to, to see us today. We really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. It's great to be here, and I'm, I'm impressed uh, with all this technology that you've brought to bear on this uh, very important topic. If, if only you had somebody who knew how to operate the technology, <laughs> yeah, it would be, be even more impressive. <laughs> So, Neville, I've known you for oh, probably 30-plus years, going back to um, when I was a, a wee tacker in the, the wholesale plant production industry, and um, you were well-known in the retail industry probably at that stage. So you, you would have seen a lot of changes in landscaping, in just general plants and retail over that period of time. Absolutely. Well, my dad started a, a garden centre in 1954, so I was a whole five years old at the time. And uh, I remember doing work with him and we used in those days old kerosene tins and we had a special tool which punched a hole not only uh, across the, the, the top and you could fold it back down and then you had another tool that punched a few holes in the bottom then you filled it up with dirt, back in the days of muck and mystery I call it. And uh, I remember our first shade house was uh, made out of wooden beams over which was stretched chicken wire and we used to go out in the bush and cut zamia palm leaves and thread them through and that gave this lovely filtered shade. shade cloth yeah that was, that nice. was before shade cloth was invented i yeah, actually yeah. did that as well the, the nursery i went to the first one i worked at we went out and cut zamias and obviously we had a license to collect those as well which absolutely oh, yes yeah. yeah and remember so spiky and trying to get them through and they didn't last long either and then you go out and do it again out in the bush the next time so yeah even though the plants we grow now are very different to what we grew back then, the, the type of plants and you know, I don't think the formal gardens weren't big back then, it was more the old bushy natives and camellias and azaleas and hibiscus were a big one for you guys, wasn't it? Yes, Dad was always looking for something that was a bit exotic and he got into magnolias and rhododendrons which pretty pretty blimmin' hard to grow in Perth and almost any suburb, but there are a couple of gardens up Bedforddale that still have the plants that Dad brought in in those days growing in, in perfect conditions, you know, and doing really well. And, of course, Araluan as well. He put a bit of stock in there. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah some all sorts of exotics. Looking beautiful there still. So that's yeah. how many years is that that they've been in the ground then? Oh, gee, well, there's one massive one there. I was only out at Araluan a couple of uh, weeks ago would be uh, six, eight metres high, full flower. And I, I, I do recollect that Dad had something to do with planting that one out. I think, yeah, so way back when, yeah. Yeah, we used to do the, the one up place I worked at. We sold oodles of camellias and, uh, yeah, and the deciduous magnolias into our lawn. It's probably about the only place in Perth that they really grow that well. It's a yeah. bit of a struggle everywhere else. But, but after Blossoms, you, you have, have had quite a career in the media as well. So from... 
gardening Australia and the garden gurus and yes, other, well, other aspects? My sort of journey really was quite a convoluted one. I went to uni with the goal of being a uh, welf- child welfare worker. That's what I wanted to do. So I studied psychology, anthropology, which is still one of my great passions, economics and economic history, all which prepared me magnificently for the career that I finished up in, which was horticulture. So I worked for Dad for a couple of years, and that was a complete disaster. We just didn't get on. So I moved out of there and eventually went to work with Waldex. And I started out at the Aussie Park store. There was a promise of a job at the Bentley store, which was just being formed at the time. And I was over east and got a call from Barry Waldex saying, look, uh, there's an opening has arrived at the uh, Osborne Park store. Uh, can you come back home and uh, take up the, the post? So I did. So I was a sales assistant there, worked my way up into management. And while I was there, uh, or years later actually at Waldex, Les Wendy, who was doing some work with Channel 7, and he was Wildflower Nursery, yep. decided to head back to Israel and work on a kibbutz. So the call went out, you know, is there anyone that knows a few things about plants that might be able to do the TV? So you got the I nod. got the nod. Yeah. And I rocked up. The first show was with t- uh, Ted Bull. And I brought in a pile of deciduous trees in the middle of winter. And uh, Ted oh, just looked at me sideways yeah. and said, holy cow, you're you going to sell dead trees yeah. on <laughs> television? Forget <laughs> it. I'm not going to be a part of this. So we set off on a, a great fun-filled exercise, and that was my first intro to TV. Yeah, but you uh, did uh, Gardening Australia for a fair, fair few years as well. Yep, yep. Well, I, the, the first show with, with Ted and then Jenny Seaton led into... Uh, a specific gardening and handyman show, which I was on for a couple of years, and then a few other bits and bobs, and then John Colwell, who was then the, the anchor for WA for Gardening Australia, decided to call it a day, and so they asked if I could do it, and I was a bit doubtful at the time because it was pretty hard, it was a part-time situation for me. So they took on another young lass, a young lass who was... Uh, uh, a, she was a vigneron, and uh, so the two of us did segments for a while. Anyway, finally, uh, she got um, uh, she got nabbed by Channel Nine for doing their weather, oh, so that left me all, all, all yeah. my on my own. <laughs> anyway, I had a fantastic time. I did a decade with Gardening Australia, probably the best learning experience of my life because. Uh, in the early days, Tasmania, which was head office then, would send you out a note saying, OK, we want you to do a story on grevilleas. Yeah. And, and so I'd then go and research it and, and away we'd go. By the time I got to the end of my tenure there, I was sending them 30 to 40 suggestions per year for stories that I wanted to do. So I actually managed to yeah, call curate, my own tune, own. basically. Yeah. And uh, so I did things like uh, I wanted to study genetic engineering. I knew zip about genetic engineering. So you'd rock up at, uh, at Murdoch Uni where they had a, a course running there. You'd talk to all the professors and you'd put a story together and, and away it went, you know, and it was just terrific. I yeah, learned sound, so much. That's what it sounds like. And then, then you got into the Garden Gurus with, with Trevor Cochran and... Another, another decade. Yeah, yeah. 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 
we were really keen to get a West Australian show off the uh, the rails, and we actually together went across and spoke to Don Burke, and he said, "Oh, you guys have got no, no chance. chance." You know, I mean, starting a, a, running a garden show out of Western Australia, you got to be joking, you know. But we said, "Oh, well, look, we'll start in Western Australia and see how we go," and we did, and uh, it went pretty well, and eventually we got the nod to go. Uh, into South Australia, which was a real breakthrough, and then we had the two states running, and at that point we then put a bid in for the rest of the of the country, and we got into Victoria and New South Wales about six months later, and then that led us into Queensland the following uh, the following year. So my job was not only to do stories uh, from WA, but to actually go over there and recruit people. So I'm suddenly becoming a talent scout, you know, another another, uh, another uh, bit of work, you know. Yeah. yeah. And all that uh, led on to quite a number of series, including overseas um, stories. Other travel so shows, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did uh, Gurus Explore. And that was the most exciting stuff. You'd land in a foreign country, you had done all this research, you had all the stories ready to go, and they just fell over one by one, or, or everything went wrong. Yeah. Different tangents. Plan A yeah. never, ever got to air. You know, it was it was uh, some sort of derivative way down when. Which I, I noticed the, um, in those ex- tourist shows, you still managed to get the, the trees and the plants and the local you know, flora featured pretty heavily in a lot of them. So Absolutely. That deep desire for plants just kept on shining through no matter what you did. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you're in love with plants, like I am, that's what you do, you know. You find every excuse to... Slip them in. And, and fruit trees have always been a, a big sort of passion for you, the particularly exotics and anything that's a bit difficult to, to grow. And I think you're a bit like me. If somebody tells you, oh, you can't grow that in Perth, you're like, oh, watch me have a shot. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Well, I think that's very typical of gardeners. They, uh, they want to grow uh, azaleas uh, down at the beach at Cottesloe yeah. or uh, rhododendrons in, in Dianella, you know. Anything that's just that little bit too hard... Yeah. Or impossible. Something a challenge. Give, so it yeah. a Give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of turning gardening into more like a an art than you know you're trying to do something other people can't do and in a in a clever way. So yep. Any particular favourites in the exotic fruits that you you must have in your garden whenever you? Well, at the moment we're harvesting custard apples. And oh yeah, got yep. a, a one tree, and we are we I reckon we've got about eighty to ninety fruits oh, on gee. it. And that's after harvesting for about a month. So we're slipping into these and enjoying them thoroughly. And we actually use them, apart from just eating them fresh off the tree, we munch them up in uh, the thermomix. Have you ever heard of a thermomix? <coughs> yeah, oh, I've my got, wife's got one. I've got most one. Most yeah. Okay. It's I, I don't think expensive blender yeah, is yeah, what yeah. I call it. So make well, yeah. stock. We yeah. actually uh, use this on reverse. And it, so it, it sort of um, makes a slurry out of the flesh, but you can pick the seeds out very readily after we've skinned it. And then we freeze that and use it in our, in, as in our smoothies for breakfast. Oh, so nice. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, surprising it's, yeah. how productive the, the old custard apples can be in Perth. I've got one at my place I've done nothing with, and I don't really eat them, so my mother-in-law gets some fruit a year off it. Yeah, yep. that, that does really well. And, and nowadays you're uh, involved with... Uh, the aquaponics a lot. Yes, yeah. Well, my partner has run a business called Aquaponics WA, so she's been she really is the godmother to that industry. So all the major players in the in the sorry uh, hydroponics um, 
again, such as people like Trandos, uh, horticulture up in uh, north of here, really cut their teeth. Uh, and that's a great little story. Uh, the dad who was in the business of growing broccoli at 2am in the morning would, was sort of thinking, am I going to get my young kids to come out at 2am in the morning and pick broccoli? Not a good scenario. So he came out, uh, saw Delia and got a bit of an idea of how it worked, did a few experiments, it worked well, and they now one of the leading lights, not in Western Australia, not just in Australia, but absolutely internationally in, in that area, growing uh, grafted tomato plants for the whole industry across Australia and also trust tomatoes for um, one of the major Woolworths, sorry, Woolworths throughout WA. Because it's uh, definitely the way those type of vegetables and supermarket produce is going is um, going to, it's that aquaponic, hydroponic type culture because it's so much easier to control pests and disease it's so much easier to control your water use and your fertilizer application yep and you can produce with a great deal more certainty than yeah all open fields. Yeah, well. you're not you're not yeah, yeah. you're not sitting in bed at night worrying, listen to the rain and think god i hope, I hope that <laughs> yeah, doesn't turn into hail, hail. Yeah. Hail, yeah. Yeah. frost yeah well uh, the future of uh, horticulture really is now is looking in cities particularly around yep. the world at vertical farms so growing food where people live yep. so there's none of this food miles or food kilometres. Uh, you only have to look at Perth and see our productive areas, how far they're getting pushed away from the inner city areas because yep. um, you, know, you look back 20, 30 years when, when Wanneroo was a major vegetable growing area yep. and, and now it's completely Spot unhoused, the farm. isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just been well, pushed out and pushed out and pushed talking out. Talking about wildflower nursery, that used to be probably a K or so up the road. Yes. With the big slide out the front. Behind that was market gardens, yep. and like they're not not to be seen at all anymore. Yep. So they've they've definitely moved out. So. Yeah, so growing food is changing a lot. Uh, we're still getting the, the you know the carabooters producing food and, and meal up down south, but it's still a long way to bring that food. It, it is, a, yeah, it's a huge and journey. And the amount of people I know who dabbled in uh, aquaculture and hydroponics, and then. Next thing you know, their entire garden is aquaponics and hot because they, it is so productive and so easy to do. And yeah, um, as I said, it's just the, the control you have over production is just amazing. It produce twelve months a year, or particularly their veggies, their leafy yeah. greens, tomatoes, cucumbers, all those. What they eat, yeah, yeah, and, day yeah day. and have oodles left over. And so, yeah, it's a really amazing, amazing thing. Is there anything you, you like? You think any sort of strange tangent you see the the nursery industry, the landscape industry going off in the future, other than than just hydroponic and aquaponic. Oh, absolutely! Uh, look, the the industry is set to go crackers, in my opinion, because we actually need green living spaces in order to survive. So our suburbs and our cities are overheating due to having too much grey and black roofs and all that sort of stuff. And the temperatures are getting to the point where it's very difficult for us to survive. So we really have to look at putting greenery back into everywhere we live. Yep, uh, particularly trees. So we yep. The trees. Uh, I think I saw this, the statistics on what the WA Health Department is uh, planning for, for for heat-related deaths in the next 20 years, and it's like a, a tenfold increase 
uh, decade on decade. You know, so yep. you, you look in fifty years, they're, they're in, looking at an increase of you know something like five hundred percent or something like that. It's just um, purely because the temperatures are going to just keep cre- creeping up, particularly in suburban areas, because yep. we don't have shade trees to mitigate the heat, and we have, as you were saying, black yeah. roofs, concrete jungles, hard, hard surfaces. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, the, the case that really got my thinking going was in Melbourne, the Black Saturday fires, something in the order of 190 people died as a direct result of, of the fires. Same city, same weekend, nearly 400 people died through heat, stress-related uh, illnesses or, or, or just, you know, just getting just too yeah, hot. Getting too hot, and, yeah. And not being able to cool down. They had a real heat wave through Melbourne, 40-degree uh, days, but the killer... Was the thirty degree nights? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, when you're asleep, you're not dead conscious of what's going yeah. on, and you can get into all sorts of trouble. Oh yeah, that's true. You can deal with the hot days when you get the cool nights. But if you're not getting cool nights, yeah, yeah, it knocks it, you around. It's terrible. Like I know my business, and you're probably saying Nick, it's you try and get people to plant as many trees as you can, and even on small blocks, you squeeze them in and uh, tell people how to manage them because they are manageable. I, I think it's becoming it. more. You know, clients are coming to us as well now. So the yep. councils are enforcing it and it's becoming the norm, whereas probably 10 years ago a lot of people, you know, would, would shy away from it. They didn't want the trees, they didn't want the canopies. But I think now it is, you know, we're getting request after request to really green up the spaces. So planting is one of the most important parts of the landscape, really. Yep. So you know, One of the most exciting things that's happened to me recently is as part of this Green Space Alliance, I was in a meeting with Rita Sapiotti, the Minister for Planning, and she showed us the plan that they were putting out for discussion of how they were building into the regulations the need to have deep root zones within any housing lot, no matter how small, they had to be deep root zones so that they could put trees. Any development... DA needs to show what they're going to do and it's not like back in the day where you'd say, yeah, yeah, we're going to do a certain... But they will start to enforce this now. Yep. So I think it's going to only become more and more yep. with people like Rita involved. That, yeah, well, and in the, hopefully within the next 5, 10, 15 years we'll see the benefits of it. So well, absolutely. When the, As you talk about this, to having deep root zones, it's the last storm we had driving through... One of my boys goes to school in near Champion Lakes. And so the trees around there were planted in the 80s and 90s where they were basically excavated, dig the hole, you know, 10 centimetres wider than the 45-litre bag, whack the, the eucalypt in. Yep. The eucalypts have grown to 20 feet. And as soon as we had these storms, they all blew over because they yep. know there's nowhere for the roots to go. Yep. So that, that bit of forward planning does help. And it's a shame because all those trees, 20 years worth of growth, they're all gone. Like they're wrong trees, they're poor, poor species selection as well, which is a, a familiar tale. But... Well, these days, the thing you worry about with tr- planting trees is, is this tree going to survive? Because with climate change, we've had already a one-degree increase, and that's put trees like the weeping peppermint, which makes up 15% of the street trees in Fremantle, oh, yeah. that's in the red zone now. They're, they're dropping dead everywhere you around Perth. You, yeah. you, you can't plant those anymore. Simmons are dropping dead around Perth everywhere. Because yep. they're, they're non-WA species, and they're damn something. You know, yep. People have this... Uh, a concept of native is drought hardy and heat hardy. Yep. Yeah, the peppermint trees come from the southwest of WA, and they yep. they traditionally grow in um, heaty, deep, um, damp soils. And 
Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the peppermint grove people are going to do in uh, fifteen years because they, they will not be able, they will not be a grove of peppermints in that area anymore. Yep. And and the crazy thing is that we are now having to look to the species of Geraldton to Carnarvon yes. to put into Perth because that's what's going to <laughs> be needed. Yeah. you two, know, two in twenty years time up, up there. Yeah. yeah, it does make sense though. Like yep. to, to have a look at. The yeah, I remember being at a um, a conference probably five or six years ago, maybe even a bit longer, where the um, city of Melbourne, would, they were replanting program in place because they were just expecting to lose the oaks and the elms and those type of things to, yep. to temperature rises and what they were going to replace them with, uh, obviously more heat-hardy plants. So well, in Melbourne, the number one street tree is the yellow box. That's a lacoxalan. Yep. And that's now in the exact same yep. red zone. Yep. So you, you you don't plant it anymore, you know. Well, I, I'm still baffled why there are so many of the developers in Perth plant manchurian pears in dry, sandy, you know, near coastal suburbs. It's just yep. crazy. Yep, and then my other big beef is the quality of the root zone of trees going into the ground. So I want to see us do a lot more work with either treating the plant at planting time by taking off you know, a, a sandwich a crumpet uh, yeah, thickness the uh, around a, a plant material or root material off the plant so that there's no patterned root development happening. So that's got to be basically able to move out or the adoption of uh, root pruning pots. Kings Park have pioneered the use of rocket pots. I think they're too a bit a step too hard for the major nurseries to grow but there are op- op- other options other than just straight sided hard plastic pots yeah there are those r- the root pruning ones that allow the roots to grow out and then be air air yep. pruned yep. yeah 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 I, I still remember seeing a car park development where they had an escalator come and dig the holes for the and they're digging out of compacted road base and limestone which the car park was built on yep. and again it was that extra 10 centimeters drop the foot and then and they all just fell over <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tragic. It, it's plus, they get so hot as well. Yeah. It's, you know, yep. park, planted in a car park, you can yeah. imagine what it's going to be. But if you do the right job with um, setting up a car park, that becomes a water collection area for trees. So, you know, good landscaping practices can turn those into cool areas yeah. that are oh, very definitely. successful. Well, especially uh, plant growing you areas. See in industrial areas where you're talking about massive roof spaces and capacity for them to collect water to yep. water those trees and just have that that water there purely for irrigating trees which yeah they're, they're roof space and hard stand so that they really need as much yep. shade as they can possibly get so just hopefully as a as members of, of the industry whether it's landscaping or retail garden centers or you know an advocate as yourself Nev, we can just uh, promote the, the use of trees as much as possible because I've got kids that are growing up now and I don't want them to live in a Hot and dry place. So, you know, the classic example, you know, you go to a Bunnings on the weekend and you see everyone trying to cram under the one tree that's got a bit of foliage on it. Yes. The rest of it's a, a desert. Yeah. So. And we have to look at grass as well uh, because the most effective means of reducing uh, urban heat is irrigated grass and uh, gardens. So, the irrigation creates this sort of humidity and then the plants can transpire that. And, and it, it cools things down even more effectively than having a lake yeah. at the front of your place. That's a phenomenal yeah. <laughs> concept amazing, to get your head it? around, yeah. you know. Yeah.
Yeah, are we? So we, we need a lot more greenery uh, plugged into where we live to, to be able to live comfortably. Well, Neville, I think we've pretty much covered everything we needed to cover. And again, um, Nick and I are very grateful for you make, making the time out of your, your busy schedule to come up and see us because it's, uh, it's always good to talk to somebody with a depth of experience in the industry such as yourself. And normally with the experience, you get a bit of foresight as well. So, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we've had that today. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, so thanks very much, very much appreciate it. And Real uh, pleasure. I'm sure I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Neville. Can't wait. Good on you, mate. <laughs> see you. You've been listening to The Green Thumbs Up, brought to you by the Landscape Industries Association, WA. Sponsored by Mini Quip Hire.